Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I don't have Michelle here today, but I do have Jimmy. Hi Jimmy. Hi Stephanie. Um, we also have Kirsten joining us from the other side of the world. Hi Kirsten. Hello. So Dr. Kirsten Mills is a Victorian fantasy specialist. And for our purposes here today, she's a big horror fan. And then... That's useful for us because it's nearly Halloween and we thought we'd talk about some spooky texts today. And I can't say spooky without saying spooky. <laughs> when I sent you around the invitation, I think I put like 15 O's, O's in yeah. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what? why? Why do we love spooky texts and horror? What is the appeal? Um. I think it's it's a bit different for everyone. I mean, there's it's such a broad genre. Um, I, I should clarify that there are certain parts of horror I don't like. The the really sort of violent, gory sort of stuff I'm not that into. Um, slasher films and things I can't really do them, but I do love the more um, classic Victorian style ghost stories or um, werewolf sort of stuff, the supernatural. Those sort of things, and for me, it's it's the weird, the the what's in the darkness, the dark side of human nature, all of those sorts of things that I'm intrigued by. Um, I do either of you enjoy more sort of gory sort of horror? No, I can't do I can't do gory horror. I'm such a wuss. I can actually do lots of gore in text. Yeah. Or in a podcast form, but I can't do movies, TV. Stranger Things is about as scary <laughs> as I get yeah. on TV. And that's not that scary. No. What I about can, you, Jimmy? I used to be able to do quite a lot of gore uh, as an adolescent. And then something happened when I was about 20 or 21. I think uh, my friend and I both binged on horror <laughs> literally binged we, we we went to a two uh, one month horror fest where we watched horror film after horror film after horror film after horror wow. film and the, the last one i remember which for some reason was an odd one to break me but that one broke me uh, it was the cell um, i don't know whether you guys saw <laughs> no, it with the no jennifer a ridiculous film <laughs> jennifer lopez is in it and she appears at the end as the virgin mary it's just so ridiculous <laughs> uh, but for some reason that film just broke me and and after that I couldn't do gore anymore and to this day I still can't really do gore but there's still a side of me that's fascinated by it so I'll read up on gore and you know as in real life stuff um serial killers in particular I'm fascinated by serial killers (laughs) Uh, but afterwards I get this horrible sense that the world is dark and awful and I feel like I need to take a long shower to scrub myself completely clean afterwards um so it it has a really unusual effect on me now uh, whereas in the past it used to really fascinate me, um, and I used to be just—I I loved it. Yeah. And now I kind—I actually can't imagine myself back then that really loved that aspect of it anymore. Because now I look at it, and I'm like, oh dear God, you know. Or maybe the gore is different now to what it was when I was younger, because it's so realistic now. Yeah. Whereas maybe. I guess you know when when I was watching it back in the uh, the 80s and 90s, how depressing. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> It seemed realistic back then, but when you look at it now, it looks so dated and, you know, so yeah. artificial and stylistic, whereas now it's kind of like, you know, you're seeing bones and cartilage and you know, muscles and sinews <laughs> and all that stuff, and I'm like, oh, God, no. Back then it was just red liquid. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think that's... Um, I, sort of, I sort of skew... Sorry, you guys. I sort of skew more in the Victorian ghost stories, like <laughs> Kirsten. Sorry, Kirsten, I interrupted you. No, 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 you go ahead. 
I, I like that like that kind of idea that there's something lurking in the in the dark and not quite knowing what's going on and the creepy and the sinister but never f- figuring out why. So that's yeah, that's more my sort of speed. Yeah, I think that that we, we're sort of teetering on the the difference between um the this traditional gothic definition between terror and horror here, I think. And it's mm. it's that the terror is that hesitation that it could be real, the sort of supernatural, the ghosts, the werewolves, the creepiness in the dark. It could be real, but it's not in your face in the way that horror is in terms of gore and murder and, you know, all, all of this kind of stuff that, that Jimmy was mentioning about, um, you know, effect, special effects these days are so confronting, so in your face. And they tend, I think we're, we're kind of desensitized, whether it's by even just what we see in the news. It's, it's like a horror film these days. Um, and so I think it kind of takes on a, a different meaning. You You don't have that fantastic kind of separation from what you're watching anymore it's it's very real uh, which which makes it slightly different experience i think yeah there's also an uh, extreme movement um, that happened i think about uh, eight or seven years ago uh pioneered by i think a lot of international horror films where they were actually just pushing the boundaries of what we can do with horror in terms of uh, a vis- from a visceral sense um, so there were, there were films like uh, High Tension or Haute Tension, you know, the French title, and then there's all those Korean and mm. Chinese ones. Uh, and I've watched a few of those, and they're just awful. Like, they, I mean, mm. I suppose they're well made, but they they reveal a very, very um, nihilistic view of humanity that just you know nothing really makes sense anymore in, in this particular world. Uh, and at the same time, there's it, it sort of almost fetishizes violence and, and gore mm. uh, the one that I'm thinking of in particular which I didn't even watch because the, the trailer alone just had me nearly <laughs> vomiting non-stop uh, was the human centipede oh, oh yeah uh, yeah <laughs> it wasn't that at all. it was just so terrible and then you know horror for horror one of my students told me that, that was his favorite film and I went oh, oh wow. that's it that's a bit of a red flag <laughs> but you know I, I suppose you know um maybe we're now different generations in terms of the way we view horror yeah. Um, you know, certainly the two of you sort of look back to the Victorian period for that sense of horror. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I look more towards, um, I guess, my childhood and my adolescence. So I was reading a lot of um, Christopher Pike, for example, when I was a teenager uh, and loving those sort of novels. Um, I never got into Stephen King for whatever reason. I, I tried so many of his books and just couldn't get into him. But Christopher Pike I loved and Dean Koontz I loved. And incidentally, I actually had a chance to revisit Christopher Pike uh, when I was in New Zealand recently. And I read one of his, reread one of his books, and I thought, "Wow, this is warped." <laughs> like it was so, it, it was so. Either you read Christopher Pike? No, I've never no. read Christopher. No, oh, okay, it's, it's a shame because his wasn't really conventional horror. It'll, it'll start off sometimes with very conventional stuff, and then he'll go into the weird and bizarre. Uh, I can't remember which one it was, but one of them somehow ended up in Mars. Like I, I have no idea how that <laughs> happened, and I still can't remember how it is. But I remember somehow we ended up in Mars, and I thought. This is just bizarre. Like, it actually went to the Maghab, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's what I loved about it. It took my imagination to a completely different area, whereas um, R.L. Stein, who was really popular. Uh, goosebumps. Yeah, yeah Goosebumps. Uh, yeah. Oh, so you guys know R.L. Stein, we know, not Christopher we know Pike. Goosebumps. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Stephen King, maybe they were more conventional horrors, whereas Christopher Pike was just, sometimes he did conventional horrors, but sometimes he did just really wacky, 
bizarre ones that would incorporate sometimes Eastern mythology, other times science fiction. Mm. It would just go wherever, and, yeah. and they're really odd. And, and I guess that's what I loved about that sort of horror and maybe you know that sort of spooky idea that you were talking about, Stephanie. <laughs> Kirsten, what are some of your favourite spooky stories? Um, well, I mean, all the traditional Victorian ghost stories, I, I love all of them. Um, but yeah, pretty much anything we, that that harkens back to that era and contains ghosts and the supernatural. But I love also. I've always been drawn. Apparently, since I was about two years old, to werewolves two. for some reason. <laughs> werewolves. Yes. What is the appeal of the werewolf? Um. For me, it was the wildness of of. For me, it was the wolf part of the werewolf. Um. I, I just loved. <laughs> You're a dog fan, aren't you? A what fan? You, you love dogs, don't you? Because um, we did have an appearance from um, uh, what's his name, Rocco. Oh, Coco. Coco yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've I've um, I've told her she's not allowed to participate in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she did have some opinions to offer on on werewolves, uh, being canine herself. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, but yeah, it, it was the wolf side for me, and I think that is part of the appeal of of werewolves. It's that. The animality, um, the the human animal divide, the fact that the werewolf, I mean, in its in its name, the werewolf is neither completely animal or completely human, and we get to kind of explore the the beastly side of humanity um, and the human side of animals, and it's kind of a really nice way to explore both what we admire, um, like you know, a, a pack animal like a wolf, we admire the loyalty. For example, it's one of the most common themes in werewolf. Um, modern werewolf fiction but we also were, were terrified of the hunting and the the killing the stalking the glowing eyes you know there's just so much uh iconography there that we can draw on that's um steeped in the other the scariness the the sort of beasts that lurk in the shadows so what are some of your favorite were- werewolf texts um i I, I've always liked going back to sort of folk folklore and fairy tales. Obviously, Red Riding Hood is one of the most common, well-known examples of of a wolf. Um, so that's enjoyable. But I really love the way that film has has created really our our image of werewolves. Um, they're obviously the original Wolfman. It's it's not the earliest werewolf film, but it's one of the most popular in 1941. It's recently remade in the last few years, but the original was obviously um, responsible for catapulting the werewolf into popular the popular lexicon of those horror creatures. Um, and since then, I've I've really enjoyed watching. Um, the remake, the TV series Teen Wolf. Um, I knew that was coming up. <laughs> it, yes, I've talked to you about this before. I've tried to convince you to watch it. It's um, it's directed. It's it's aimed at at it's teen. It's adult, young adult television, so it's aimed at a, a teen audience. I think the protagonist is sixteen when the series starts, and they do look quite young. Um, but I just really enjoy it. It's it's such a it, it's quite popular, which um fascinates me so that the sort of teen culture is is really into this gothic right now this sort of gothic horror it is a remake of the um the michael j fox teen wolf but it it pretty much diverts immediately it uses the same character name the same concept of a teen teenager turning into a wolf but 
it does it in such a dark way. It returns it to its sort of folkloric, gothic, dark roots. Um, there's a lot of blood, um, a lot of s- scary moments, a lot of a lot of horror, but it's it's from a supernatural angle, so I can handle it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think teens are into wolves? Well, for one, Is it Twilight. Well, oh god, I hope not. Um, no not Kirsten but other people yeah they I think wolves have always been a bit sexy um Mm. they are especially when we're dealing with uh puberty with um masculinity through the wolf um and it's it's just, yeah, it, it gives... The Teen Wolf particularly loves its scenes where the boys have to take their shirts off before they turn into a wolf. <laughs> um, and... And so does Kirsten. <laughs> so does Kirsten, yes. Well, yeah, not so much the younger characters, but there are some older ones that I don't <laughs> mind so much. <laughs> um, I think it's it's that animalistic side. It's a bit... It's pushing the boundaries. It's very much about transgression. Um Buffy did that as well with Oz, didn't they? Absolutely. And, in fact, Teen Wolf is is very heavily inspired. The producers acknowledge being very heavily inspired by the whole show, Buffy. Mm. Um, and so yeah, uh, perhaps that's why I enjoy it. There is a I, lot of I crossover. Have, I've got to watch it. <laughs> I've got It's on my Netflix queue. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Actually, it's funny they should say about why teens love um, Werewolf so much because um, my memory of the original 80s version of Teen Wolf um, film is that it was um, about, um, in a way, it's an allegory for adolescence or that transition from uh, childhood to, to manhood. Yeah. Um, and, and it was played as a comedy. From I don't think there was a lot of horror. I mean, no, it it's, it's, the it's really the film. camp yes, it's hysterical. and goofy. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whereas this um, seems to take it uh, probably more seriously mm. and, and it's taken a different approach to the same story. But, yeah, I guess um, I never really sort of saw it from that perspective that, um, the wolf of the animal could be seen as that um, move from childhood through adolescence yeah. and you know, through to manhood again. You know. That's quite an interesting comparison to make right there. I was thinking more uh, along the line of that horror film that scarred me for life uh, as a kid, which was um, an American werewolf in London. Yeah. <coughs> and you are in London right now, Sam, Kirsten, so yeah. <laughs> you can relate. Uh, she's looking. <laughs> she's, she's looking, she's looking. Uh, <laughs> but that one was, I, I don't know why I was watching that as a kid, but I remember being really terrified that but that's what's film. fun about about watching horror films. When I, mm. You know, I remember what, being at sleepovers with my friends and we would put horror movies on and yeah, somebody would, like, knock on somebody else's shoulder halfway through when you jump <laughs> and and that was kind of fun. There's a there's a fun, there's a thrill you get out of being scared. Yeah. There's a thrill you get out of being in the dark and, you know, knowing you're going to scare yourself but going along with it anyway. I think that's part of teen, uh, being a teenager. Yeah, um, but I suppose, you know, maybe this is maybe my experience, but have either of you experienced films or texts that have stayed with you uh, as almost like a source of fear or anxiety? Kirsten? Um, I think I've... I need to think. I've tended... <laughs> yeah, I, do, I need to think as well. I think I've tended to stay away from anything that I know is, is very scarring. Um, well, uh, well, I can give you my example. I mean, the, the one that um, still to this day the image of it for whatever reason terrifies me and this was I think I was eight when I saw this um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street oh yeah and it was one scene in particular uh, and it was when uh, what's her name I think it was Nancy uh, appears in broad daylight uh, wrapped in plastic and all bloodied uh, in front of someone's hallucination or something like that and that image 
has stayed with me for you know, up till now and, and for whatever reason that, that image really just terrifies me. Maybe it's something about we associate horror or fear with darkness and having that in broad daylight was just yeah. such a terrifying concept to me that, you know, even during the daytime you can't run away from some of these ideas. Mm. Yeah. Did either of you have any of those? Um, I, I don't think it was a particular text. I just, I knew, I know that I enjoyed that feeling of being frightened. There wasn't a kind of image that stayed in my mind. I've had a long-standing fear of movies that feature beheading, but I don't think <laughs> that's quite what you're looking for. <laughs> um, but the, the, the kind of texts that stand out for me are the, the kind of creepy ones where you don't quite know what's happening. Like, I really like Shirley Jackson. Mm. Shirley Jackson is read very widely in America, but is almost never read here. Um, and her, her two novels, the, ha- the Haunting of Hill House and um, We've Always Lived in the Castle, are the kinds of texts that kind of stay with me. They're not; it's not quite ever clear in her in her novels what's actually happening. Is this, um, you know, in the Haunting of Hill House? You know, you never really kind of figure out exactly what's going on. And um, We've Always Lived in the Castle is about you know human terror like this it's less about the supernatural and more about the terrible things people do to each other but because there's so many kind of questions and it's all very ambiguous and it's all about terrible things happening in you know big houses where they're dark and they've got lots of corners um that kind of stayed with me more the haunting of hill house is the book that's behind the movie the haunting yeah Mm. um and that's the kind of stuff that i always have been drawn to more than the kind of slasher stuff Incidentally, that was one of the films that I watched during that binge. Because <laughs> that was exactly so Shirley Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I I think um, that's the same for me. I think I think Shirley Jackson, particularly with the haunting on Hill House, really picks up on that Victorian gothic that we were talking about with the ghostly. Particularly as you mentioned, the house. It's the use of space. There's, it's the the invisible, but you know, kind of that liminal space. You've got corridors, doors, stairs going up, doors closing opening you're moving between spaces and there's always as you move through this sense of space beyond what you can see and so it kind of goes hand in hand with the supernatural there there are invisible things around us you know they're right there but you can't see them and i think that's terrifying um, so any text and that's for me... kind of the classic that, gothic trope, you know, those, those haunted houses or the, the houses in which bad things happen um, is, is there right from the beginning of the gothic. It's like this standard gothic trope that we keep coming back to because it is terrifying. You know, turn out all the lights in your house and, and, and hang around by yourself for a while and you can and you can talk yourself into being scared. Absolutely. Um, I, I've just... I just um, had an article come out on Horace Walpole and um, the Castle of Otranto, that's obviously the first gothic novel and the mm. relationship between that and his house that he built strawberry hill and i look at the way that the space in that house um kind of creates just what i said there that sense of liminal space and space beyond and that sense that you're moving through different dimensions of space and, and you've got the, the natural and the supernatural kind of merging together um and the house obviously uh, according to him his own sort of legend that he created he had a dream or a nightmare based on the stairwell in that house, which is, I think, the most beautiful part. you kind of got this, this shadow underneath. It's absolutely amazing to walk into this spiralling staircase that goes upwards into the light, and you've got these doors leading off as you go up the staircase. And it's really just that quintessential sort of gothic, intertwined, layered space. And so that staircase appeared in his dream and inspired the novel. 
And so right from the beginning, we've got this architecture playing a huge part in the Gothic. And I, I love the way that that's, that's still even used in, in, even in things like Teen Wolf with the, the urban settings. You move from the forest, which is the same thing. The trees kind of block vision. And usually they've got that iconic image of trees lit from behind by the moonlight shining through mist. And then you see a silhouette wolf figure move out from behind one of the trees. You know, that's one of the most iconic sort of horror images. Um, but, but alongside that, there's a lot of use of urban space. And again, it's that obscuring your vision so that you know that there could be something behind that wall or just around that corner that's about to jump out and get you. And I think because it's it's also tied to the domestic space, that's even scarier. You know, that idea that something could be lurking in your home. Exactly. That something, that there is this kind of liminal space that's just around the corner of, of what is otherwise a kind of mundane um, domestic setting. I think that makes it a little bit scarier as well, that idea that you can't trust the place where you should be able to feel comfortable. Absolutely. That's a really kind of scary idea. Definitely. I think, and again, that um, to go back to what's, appealing about the werewolf i think um any of those monsters that morph back into the human when in the daylight you could be talking to them or they could be living in the house with you and you don't know who the monster is um a bit of a jekyll and hyde sort of trope there is has the vampire gone out of popularity at the moment like is it the werewolf um that's the kind of monster du jour <laughs> it's the mermaid the mermaid <clears throat> apparently mermaids are, are the next are going to be the next big thing yeah, I don't know why, but and and I can sort of see it happening. There's more and more mermaid things coming out. I don't know. I don't know what's going to be scary about mermaids though. But because they lure men to their deaths. But sirens. Yeah, but that's sort of related. It's <laughs> <laughs> close enough. Come on. <laughs> but like, what? Unless zombies they have, are the big thing. At the but moment. unless they have, unless mermaids have that at, like association with death, what's scary about them? Oh, there he is. Oh, she is. Sorry. Okay. I know. Sorry. She's just insistent I, 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 that she had something to say. Oh. I could translate. Look, werewolves. You're she, talking about, she's saying, look, go back to the werewolves. And... They are very popular right now. Coco really <laughs> we, we enjoys don't care them. About, we don't care about mermaids. <laughs> exactly. Well, Enough of the there fish. Was... I can't, yeah. I can't... Who cares about fish? <laughs> I can't remember the film now, but there was a film that came out, I think, about two years ago. And I think it was a foreign film about a killer mermaid. That's bizarre. Yeah. Um, but I think she was... I think she does target men or something to that effect. I can't oh, remember now. Enough. Yeah, but, uh, well, as you would expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I that's mean, fine. Not- yeah. <laughs> but, but maybe what it is is it's a response to um, the masculine monster, which is the werewolves. Mermaids tend to be more feminine yeah. monsters. So, And we haven't really had an exclusively feminine monster. Most monsters tend to be masculine, so maybe it's... it's Medusa. Medusa. But she she never really took over as a of a trend or yeah, that's true. a fad and if mermaids are taking over maybe it's a uh, women power now coming in to say we're reclaiming yeah the we can too. be serial killers too <laughs> oh don't talk about that i just listened to um a, a podcast on Catherine um knight that uh, i think will haunt me for years and years to <laughs> we can come. talk about we can talk about horror podcasts later because i have a lot of opinions on <laughs> but is it is the era of the vampire over um is it zombies Oh, zombies! Zombies are huge right now, and um, mm. the, there's there's a move towards normalizing the monster as well. You've got things mm. like uh, the TV mm. show I Zombie, um, which is about a zombie trying mm. to just basically live her life, um, her undead sort of life. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think yeah, vampires are gonna all. I think they're always going to be popular. 
Um, I don't think they've seen we've seen the end of the vampire quite yet, although we have been heavily saturated in the last few years. Um, so yeah, perhaps we are moving towards other creatures like the mermaid. Um, but obviously, one one particularly stereotypically female monster is the witch. Um, of course, yeah. Yeah, and so obviously things like the Blair Witch. Um, it, it obviously very problematic things like the witch um in terms of gender um and the mm. yeah things like that but also a lot of potential for for horror um and very very terrifying sort of stuff um and the occult is kind of woven through a lot of the other beasts anyway um werewolves and vampires tend to be sort of associated with the occult with magic which is somehow at some point yeah mm. I like this. I like stories about the witch because it's, it's, it's a way of. Um, I mean, yes, it can kind of venture into really uncomfortable gender territory. In that historically, we know that people, women who were you know marginalised, were often accused of being witches. You know, old women, women with kind of traditional knowledge mm. and stuff like that. But I love I love stories about witches because I kind of feel like it's women's chance to get revenge. <laughs> um, you know yeah. that, that that they've been on the sidelines for so long, and I just like to see a woman behaving badly. I find that really kind of. Um, affirming in a bizarre way well that's very much uh, aligned with um one of the original witch character which would be medea mm, yeah so, i love medea exactly. she's great yeah <laughs> um but i think the uh, the horror film of the year or vote as voted by critics last year was one called uh, witch yeah i never saw that yeah um mm. but apparently that's more about um sort of the devil or, or um devil worshiping mm. which i suppose witchcraft is is linked to as well um mm. but that's a horror trope that never seems to fade with time um the idea of uh, devils or exorcism that's that's yeah absolutely going in continuous to some degree well these are all yeah. ways of like people trying to make sense of the world mm. you know like it made sense to to kind of say oh if if, if you know death had, had visited a village and and you would and you didn't really know why you would you know to turn and point your finger at somebody who seemed odd and strange and i think that even though you know the enlightenment has happened and science has happened there is still a lot of things we don't understand and we attempt to explain mm. and we reach for explanations still that um are outlandish or or, or mired in some kind of vestige of a supernatural belief yeah i think some people um use that to explain the the rise or the popularity of uh, of the vampire um mm. because apparently you know during um the 18th and 19th century when um consumption or what we know now as tuberculosis was on the rise people uh, said you know well it's vampiric act you know so these people were wasting away because they were being drained of their lives by vampires yeah um of course we, we now know that's not the case but it's the supernatural has always been a way for us to explain what we don't know uh, and i think it's interesting then that we start to normalize or sometimes even romanticize the supernatural in a way to be comfortable with some of these ideas mm. so the vampire now... The romantic vampire. Yeah, the romantic vampire. I mean, the vampire now, you know, uh, glitters in the sun oh, like on, Robert Pattinson okay. does. And, <laughs> you know, the zombie now can fall in love with a human and cure his own zombie-like behaviour. Can somebody explain zombie romance to me? Because I do not understand how rom- how how romance and zombie can go together. Well, the only one I've seen that actually combined it surprisingly effectively uh, is Warm Bodies. And I went into that film wanting to hate it and thinking it's going to be absolutely pathetic and <laughs> terrible. Uh, and then 
to my horror, halfway through the film, I realized I was enjoying it. And I was enjoying it because I figured out what was going on, <laughs> which was it wasn't really a zombie film. It was a zombie film adaptation of Romeo and Juliet <laughs> with the, you know, <laughs> with the, uh, the zombie being Romeo because his name is R and because that's yeah. all he can say is a zombie, you know, R. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there was some, a lot of really playful stuff like that. But um, the whole idea of it is that, um, uh, and maybe it's an idea that's being explored by other texts too. Uh, the one I'm thinking of is um, uh, I Am Legend where the monster is actually just our own fear of the other. Yeah. So the zombie then becomes a manifestation of the other and as people start to understand the zombie or the other, they actually start to relate to it. And likewise, mm. the zombie starts to become more human and that's exactly what happens in Warm Bodies. Uh, as he starts to uh, fall in love with um, Julie, as she's known, uh, he becomes more and more human and in a way he cures his own zombie. I mean, there's obviously a lot of problems with that. No, he doesn't. Okay. Uh, he does at the beginning of the film, but as he becomes more and more human, he stops eating brains. Because that which... would be a real, like, deal breaker in a relationship <laughs> if your boyfriend ate brains. Well, I think they, they do that with, um, what's that Drew Barrymore one on Netflix? Um, Santa Clara. Oh, Santa Clarita Diet. Yeah. yeah, that one. Because doesn't that play with that idea? Because she's a zombie and, and she's in some sort of relationship, isn't she? Uh, and I certainly I know it. I, Zombie does that um, ex- except this is a detective mm. zombie so she she does eat brain but she eats brain to find out what happened to these victims because she gets the last memory that they oh, that's had. very um yeah ecological yeah it is um, you know, she's, she's a, she, well she from memory i think she's a she's a surgeon who somehow um during a cruise became infected with the zombie virus and became a zombie but she doesn't want to be a um a malignant zombie so she realize that she has a particular gift, which is that uh, she consumes not only the brain, but the memory of the the, 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 the corpse. And so she starts to consume the brains of um, victims of violent murders to find out what happened to them and to help solve the case. Uh, so she's like a Dexter figure. She is, yeah. ve- very much so. But it's it's really bizarre. I mean, I only watched uh, about two episodes. I liked it, uh, but I just haven't had time to, to watch yeah. the rest. But I think in a way it is sort of normalizing the monster. But at mm. the same time, it's also doing what I love most which is combining genres so you've got the horror mm. the, the zombie genre being combined with the t- detective absolutely one. And, and yeah and with warm bodies as you mentioned you have the, the horror with the romance which always has gone really well together mind you horror mm. and romance have always played particularly well uh, i'm thinking in particular of vampire uh, myths and i blame Anne rice for that <laughs> But I would blame Bram Stoker for that. Yeah. You think so? But yeah. I, I, I didn't really get um, romance element in Bram Stoker's text. I mean, adaptation well, to Bram Stoker. there is a sexual element. There is a sexual element to it. But, I mean, Dracula, from memory, was described as quite a repulsive monster. I mean, he had hair on his yeah. palm and he smelled like rotten flesh. But then flesh. you have, like, the vampire babes. <laughs> There's three of them. The, the wives of Dracula. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The vampire babes. <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't that come from an older tradition? Um, oh, what's that? Uh, is it Camilla? Or? Yeah, the Camilla. lesbian vampire. Yeah. The lesbian vampire, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So that would probably come from, from that tradition more than from the Bram Stoker tradition, yeah, yeah. possibly. There's been stories about vampires that predate Bram Stoker by centuries, you mm. know, and people burying, you know, people at the crossroads with stakes through them and, and all of this sort of stuff. It's all based on folk legend. But that's what the Gothic does, as Kirsten will know, because this is this is her area. It's it's all about you know hiving up all these old superstitions and 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 supernatural kind of um, elements and and blending them in a kind of modern mix. And and that's why it's so 
brilliant because it kind of taps into all of these old beliefs and all of these old fears. Yeah, I think we kind of long for that, a more simple time. It's a way to kind of return to the pastoral in a way where the world was more Mm. simple, there were villages, there was the woodlands just outside and genuine beasts lurking in the forest, which are perhaps easier for us to understand than the horrors we have to endure these days in the modern world. Um, you know, with the mm. wars that go on and Trump as president, you know, I, I, how did that horror movie ever <laughs> come about? Um, yeah, maybe because we're living in a horror movie. Yeah, I think it's 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 nicer in some ways to look back to a time when things were more simple and the good and the evil were more easily separated. I think that's appealing for a lot of people as well. Um and the idea that it, the, that evil can be destroyed, you know, you exactly, kill the werewolf yeah. or the kill the vampire, and it's gone. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas now, I think it's more complex, and the idea of horror is that it's you know around every corner and and not vanquishable. Yeah, I think um, again, that's another thing that I think is so appealing about the werewolf, particularly the way it's presented these days, and the vampire and the zombie and things like that, is that um, the idea that the horror is potentially within us the beast is within us now it's not something outside but it's within ourselves but we have the ability to learn how to control it and overcome it and return back to the human um and so i think that the theme in a lot of modern gothic and horror particularly the teen stuff is about yeah how to mm. how to control those impulses and how to not be a horrible person <laughs> even though you might want to be and that comes from Buffy as well, doesn't it? Because that's all like Angel's arc, you yeah. know, the, the the beast within, you know. Um, every time I hang out with Kirsten, we talk about Buffy. But it, <laughs> it does, it, it is sort of so central to Buffy, that idea that we all have a kind of well wellspring of evil or, or um, at least potential to, to behave in ways that aren't great. Um, and we have to kind of learn to control them. Yeah. Definitely. That that idea as well of, of to what extent are we controlled by other people. So a lot of these supernatural shifts, these morphs into other yeah. creatures, whether it's a werewolf or something else, um, the werewolf is, is traditionally controlled by the moon and it's it's a painful transition from human to wolf form. It's something that you don't necessarily want to do of your own accord. It's something that controls you. And then when you're in the wolf form, the human disappears and I guess the question is, at what point in the transition does the human disappear and the beast come out? Where do we lose ourselves? Mm. And so the, the modern stuff really explores that boundary. Um, the, the, the whole arc of the, the Teen Wolf series is really um, Scott McCall learning to control that. And he actually spends a lot of time in that liminal space between wolf and human because he learns how to control it and use it to sort of achieve human goals and human ends and resist the wolf but also use it to empower his own ideas of what what should and shouldn't be done um so i think that's a really interesting modern use of the other the scary uh beast um in a positive way in this way it sort of explores good nice ideas i think nice constructions of healthy masculinity and friendship and identity and things like that so that's interesting way of using something scary in a positive way well, that's interesting too because the werewolf is is kind of the, the the figure par excellence of uncontrolled masculinity, uncontrolled kind of um, savage masculinity. So yeah. it's interesting that they're using that as a way of kind of working through those that to a kind of more healthy um, understanding of what masculinity is. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the original ones, the the wolves are out of control. Um, they, they kill people even though you the, 
you know, the original, the wolf man might be a really moral, nice guy in the daylight, but when he's a wolf, he kills indiscriminately. Um, mm. And, and yeah, it's, it's that sort of switch from man to beast. Um, whereas, yeah, I, I, I actually really like, I think, my, I've always, as I said, ever since I was little, I kind of sympathised with the werewolf and I was really drawn to them. I don't know why, if they were sort of more killer-like back then. <laughs> But um, I, I really, I think that's what draws me to these kind of representations now in, in things like Teen Wolf and other ones, um, is because they are, it, it's becoming easier to empathise with that supernatural creature, with that liminal being, or, you know, on the edge of the supernatural world, trying to be human, trying to fit in. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting the way they do that. I think that too, there's also an appeal of, being scared in a kind of safe and controlled environment because I'm one of my favorite things to do is listen to horror podcasts and I often listen to horror podcasts when I'm walking so I put my you know my earphones on I do find that scary but it's it's kind of controlled scary so I just go for a walk around my neighborhood and I listen to horror podcasts and I get scared and creeped out but it's kind of fun to be scared and creeped out in that kind of environment I really like it's it's a kind of fear that you can manage. Well, yeah. I don't know whether you can manage it because, I mean, a lot of stories I've read are usually people who go for walks and then they get abducted. <laughs> so if I was listening I, to I'm not a... getting abducted. This I, is I, like I, a 10 a.m. I know, but, uh, you know, when you talk about walking and, you know, putting on your headphones and listening to podcasts, it's the first thing I thought of. I thought, oh, my I God, abduction. I promise you I'm not getting abducted. <laughs> I'm not quite sure I'd say. For me, a safe space would be in my car, driving home <laughs> and listening to horror podcasts, which I... Um, Maybe not so much horror podcasts. I, I listen more to serial killer podcasts, which does <laughs> oh have my, my husband very, very disturbed and very worried. G- Jimmy in the car. Has, have I really what about the, to the black tape? What about the horror, the murderer leaping up from the back seat and slitting yeah, your throat? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Oh, that 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 old um, wives' tale. I, I, I the, check, the urban legend. <laughs> I check the back seat of my car all the time. Me too. Well, I look at. Well, my car's very small, so it's pretty hard to hide. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it, it doesn't quite happen that way. Um, but no, I mean, I've, I actually do prefer to listen to it um, at night time when I'm driving back. So there's that extra sense of creepiness. Well, see, I'm listening so I think, to, yeah, so I think I'm that's, listening that's to what I'm relating 10 to. It's sunny and bright and I'm listening to some <laughs> horror. Yeah, what great. did I just tell you about Nightmare on Elm Street? Even in broad daylight, horror <laughs> can occur. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I did try to listen to a few of those horror podcast that you mentioned so uh black tapes podcast my absolute favorite yes i have something to say about black uh, black tapes i recommended to a few friends and i didn't tell them deliberately that it was uh fictional so they listened to this thing and they were getting really into it and they're like oh my god this is so you know creepy and interesting and then about halfway through they it finally clicked and they're like this isn't real is it i was like no uh, and then they stopped listening to it because they became so disillusioned Aww. by the fact that it's not real. Oh, <laughs> because but, like, of course it's fictional. <laughs> well, it sells itself as not fictional initially. And, uh, yeah, that's true. You know, uh, and I think in the first two or three episodes there was a, a believability about it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then it starts to get a little bit, you know. So for those who haven't listened to the Black Tapes, I don't know, Kirsten, if you've listened to it. No. Yeah, <laughs> um, it it sells itself as a kind of. Um, serial investigation into these black tapes, which are unexplained supernatural mm. events. I and call it Serial Meets X-Files. It is a bit Serial Meets X-Files. And it, beca- it be- it's becoming a little bit convoluted now. Like, um, I have to kind of spend a moment remembering who everybody is <laughs> and how everybody's connected. But um, it, it, it 
really hinges on this idea of the unsound, which is the sound that you hear. And when you hear it, you end up dead within a year. Mm. I do have a T-shirt that says, I survived the unsound. Um, but it's, it's, it's working on that kind of fear of, um, that you've touched something or done something or stumbled Mm. somewhere or heard something that you shouldn't have heard. And now that you have your cursed or it's, it's impossible to kind of elude. And for some reason that really appeals to me. I'm also listening to another one at the moment called small town horror, which is really great. And there's a new one that has just been put out um, by the team that does Snap Judgment and that's called Spooked and it's just ghost stories. I have listened to that. It's so much fun. Yeah, that one I, I, I do enjoy but um, I have friends who can't listen to it because they get too too creeped out by it. <laughs> yeah. Creeped out is fun. Well, I think maybe, you know, my, I'm at the age now where most of my friends don't really like to be scared anymore. <laughs> uh, they just want, you know, happy, you know, nice things and they don't really want to see the darker side of humanities uh for whatever reason i'm still fascinated by the darker side uh so my go-to podcast at the moment is uh, case file yeah i'm absolutely addicted to it and it's a terrible thing to be addicted to because i'm listening to pretty much the worst of humanity at the moment uh and some of these stories are absolutely horrific but i love the caption of you know of the entire podcast which is that um what do they say reality is scarier than than fiction mm. or real life is scarier mm. than fiction and I think there is some sort of truth to that and maybe this is what you, you two are talking about when you're talking about the, um, mm. uh, the spooky or the supernatural this is uh, a contained or a um, acceptable mm. yeah. scariness whereas reality is almost it, it is an unacceptable scariness because mm. anyway you if you're at the receiving end of that, you don't survive. Yeah. Uh, mm. And it's, it's it's one of the worst horrors, I suppose, you can imaginable in that sense. I think, for me, the only way I... Well, well I mean, I devour these sort of um, happier, supernatural, scary, manageable, Victorian, Gothic sort of stuff, you know, <laughs> daily. But um, the only way I can and watch genuinely scary or horror sort of films for me is with a group of friends... Um, because I enjoy that feeling. I have to have my back like against the couch or against the wall. So there's nothing behind me. Um, and I kind of, it's, it's, it's almost mimics that sitting around the campfire and sharing scary stories. Whenever I've gone camping, we always tell ghost stories around the fire. Um, and when I was from, when I was tiny, when we used to stay over at my grandparents' house, who were both marvelous storytellers, we'd sit around their fire or climb into their bed and we'd all listen gleefully as, as my grandma in particular would tell the most scary werewolf stories, usually set in hungry, um, (laughs) pun intended, I think. Um, and (laughs) it was just so wonderful, so spooky. And she would sort of at the really scary moment, she would pounce on us and scare us and grab us. And, you know, it was, it was wonderfully, gleefully scary. And I think watching films with friends where if someone screams, everyone screams and jumps, um, I, that adds to that, mm. that atmosphere. And it's a fun way to digest what is otherwise too terrifying for me because my imagination runs away with it. And I just, like you said, Jimmy, at the beginning, um, if I've watched something too horrible, too too gory and, and awful, particularly when it's a human who is who's perpetrating the evil. The rest of the week is tainted for me. The sunlight feels dirty. You know, I just, I'm not, it, everything just feels gross, um, which is why I tend not to do it. I, I don't watch anything like that anymore. But yeah, with friends, I think it's a safer environment and it's, it's fun that way. 
Yeah, I agree. I find that that kind of creepiness really fun. That's why I like, I kind of seek out these kinds of, you know, scary stories and scary podcasts and, and scary TV shows that aren't too gory um, because it is fun. It's a, it's a controlled way of, of being scared. It's It makes the, the, the kind of darkness, it makes that kind of um, evil underside of the world manageable, fun and safe. Um, if you know, I'm not when I'm reading ghost stories, I'm getting really into it, and you know that feeling, that fear, and all of that. But I don't believe that a ghost is going to come and kill me. You know, <laughs> whereas if I'm reading about a serial killer or experiencing something about a serial killer who is a human, then you know that is something that is a real fear and it could actually happen. Whereas with the supernatural, as much as I love reading about it, I don't believe a word of it, so it's fine. Yeah, I, I remember being. I think I. I think it was year seven. I was 12 going on 13 and it was Halloween and I had some friends over and my sisters and my friends and I all sat down and we watched Scream and then I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, and I wasn't accustomed Classics. to horror movies at that stage, not not to that extent, like proper slasher films. And I remember it was, it was so much fun while we were watching them and then we all went and walked around the streets afterwards scaring each other and things like that. But then when I went to bed that night, I didn't sleep a wink. I literally, I sat there with my back against the wall on my bed, staring at my door and then at my cupboard door and, and kind of <laughs> judging which one was the killer going to come out of because I was sure it was going to happen. Um, and I, 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 don't, I haven't watched many of those slasher films since that moment, I think. Well, I kind of like those old slasher, like the ones in the 90s, because they were really kind of self-aware, metatextual kind of yeah. meditations on the slasher film. And so I therefore kind of, I, I still, I, I must confess, I still was scared watching Scream and I know what you did last summer. But they, I could also kind of enjoy the humour that was baked into those um, in a way that I don't feel like I could enjoy more contemporary horror that seems to me more straight horror than that kind of very sly yeah aware horror that was being done in the 90s around the teen kind of slasher film because scream is is just taking off the slasher film um and so i could could enjoy that aspect of it even though i do still find i still remember scenes actually maybe this goes to your like earlier question jimmy of scenes that you find scary i think that there was a, a murder that happened in a movie theater in one of the screen movies second one yeah. yeah and i still oh that that movie theater Oh, it didn't involve decapitation. It didn't it? involve decapitation, <laughs> but it was bad enough as it is. Oh, um, before we yeah. go, we only have like a minute to go, but can we talk about how great M.R. James is? Have either of you read M.R. James? Yeah. No. I'm sure Kirsten has. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Kirsten, are you an M.R. James fan? Um, yes, I am. <laughs> He's like the epitome of that like Victorian ghost story. It like, and it's always about you know some very kind of literate person not believing in ghosts, but then finding out that oh, actually this can't be explained through kind of rational means. Yeah, and for some reason it just really works for me. Yeah, I think it's um, a lot of the appeal of that, particularly that sort of late Victorian, early twentieth century stuff is um, it moves right into psychological territory. Um, mm. It's very much. Is this real? Is this not? If it can't, you know, can it be explained or not? Um, and that's partly where the terror lies in in sort of identifying with a protagonist that is resisting this stuff, but it keeps happening anyway. Um, mm. Yeah, it's 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 very different from sort of trying to identify with someone that already implicitly believes everything that's going on. Um, you know, it, it's much easier, I think, to sort of 
come into it with a yeah a protagonist that's resisting and it makes it scarier when there aren't easy explanations even because the protagonist themselves is, is sort of the audience standing because they don't believe it and even the point where even they believe it is is the kind of point where you go oh god you know yeah <laughs> um that's the kind of scary tipping point so mr james for me has always been a kind of halloween classic yes um, I think we've completely run out of time. Thank you so much, Kirsten, for dialing in from the UK. Say hello to your dog for me. <laughs> thank you very much for having me again. It's been so much fun. We always love having Kirsten. And thank you to Jimmy as well. Always a pleasure. Um, so we hope you guys have a great Halloween and you don't get too scared. I kind of also resent Halloween because it's at the wrong time of year for us here in Australia. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm not going to read some scary stories and, and enjoy the kind of scary atmosphere in a kind of safe controlled way <laughs> and i would try to avoid getting abducted on my horror walks please do <laughs> yeah i will <laughs> um thank you guys once again thank you thank you um and this has been another episode of from the lighthouse um if you could please rate and review us on apple Podcasts, that would be really really helpful in helping other people um find the show if you wanted to tell us about your favorite stories um you can find us at twitter at mq english or you can always drop us a line through apple podcasts or through our website at fromthelighthouse.org we'll see you again in one week bye